Hi, I'm Jenna. And I'm Mark. And you're listening to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Hey everyone, welcome back. Yeah, thank you all for joining us for another episode of Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Really interesting, fun show for me and Jenna lined up. We're being joined by David Orban, who is our Director of Animal Science and Strategy. He knows a little bit of everything, some animal behavior, (laughs) some animal welfare. We're here to learn a lot today. Yeah, well, hopefully that can be the case. Um, Hi, Ren. I'm so happy to be on this show. I was going to say, you've come a long way in a very short amount of time. Yeah. You've done a lot. We have to give him a shout out. He was just named 40 Under 40 in Cincinnati, which is amazing. Congrats. I mean, you're basically running the zoo at this point. Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) There's a lot of great people here running the zoo, but I'm here to help, and I'm happy to be here. But really, though, you did... I mean, you started here as an intern a while, like a ways back, right? Yeah, and yeah. And you went and did some stuff and then came back. So just tell us kind of how you got here and yeah. what you've done. Sure. So I um, so I am from the great state of Michigan. Um, sorry for any of you that aren't huge Michigan fans, but uh, I'm from uh, <laughs> I'm Metro Detroit. I'm sure that's going to upset a lot of people. I know. <laughs> I know. Sorry. But hey, if anyone's been like northern or west coast Michigan, you know that it's beautiful and wonderful. So um Uh, I am a Michigander. Um, I went to Michigan State University for my undergrad, and that's where I did my internship here at Cincinnati Zoo Botanical Garden, Um, yeah, way back when. So I worked, for any of you that remember, Night Hunters used to be called the Cat House, Um, and then before Rue Valley, we had Wildlife Canyon. So I worked in those two areas um, as an animal care intern, had an absolutely awesome time, great learning opportunity. Um, I met some incredible folks, um, many of which I still work with today and that we all work with today. So um, that was really great. Um, After that, I went back to graduate school at Michigan State where uh, I focused a lot more intensely on animal behavior and welfare research, uh, particularly in a zoo setting. Um, So my focus, uh, my thesis focus was on giraffe behavior in zoos and the impacts of guest feeding programs uh, on giraffe behavior. So I actually came here um, and studied the giraffes here as part of that research I remember project. you coming back, and I was yeah. up on the giraffe deck working, yeah. doing the feedings back then. Yeah. Did you come here as an intern thinking you were going to go get your master's, or did you come here and you're like, I want to learn more about animal welfare and behavior, and I'm going to go So honestly, I didn't know for like a okay. huge chunk of my, I mean, my early life, I definitely didn't know what I wanted to do. And then even in college, I didn't have a strong sense of, I knew that, you know, getting into when I was in college and I started doing some research and kind of being involved in certain zoo projects, I knew that zoo and aquarium field was where I wanted to head. I, the reason that I'm in this field is because I truly, truly believe what it does to connect people to wildlife, mm-hmm. especially in an increasingly urbanized society where people are farther and farther removed from wildlife and wild places. Zoos are some of the best hope to, to keep that connection alive so that people care about wildlife. Um, so I knew that in one way or another, I wanted to make an impact in the zoo and aquarium field. I really like the science side of things. I also really was drawn to animal care. Okay. Um, so that internship was a way of kind of uh, completing that sphere of my interests as well, and then really kind of figuring out like where I wanted to go with it. Um, graduate school was more so an opportunity that kind of just lined up perfectly for me. Um, there was a project already in mind. I had um, some advisors that wanted me to work on this project, um, and it just seemed like a good opportunity because I got to then uh, do research at nine different zoos across the Midwest. Wow, so then I got awesome. to travel, meet a lot of really great people in this field. Um, so that is ultimately why I, I did that opportunity. Okay. Um, and yeah, I, I learned a lot through that process. So at all nine zoos, you were looking at the same thing at different zoos, right? How the effects of yes the human feedings, the guest feedings, yep. the effect of the giraffe. So yeah, so the project was um, we had three... We had um, three zoos that did not have guest feeding programs. We had four zoos that had um, kind of like intermediate, like part day feeding programs. Maybe they would have feeding programs for like an hour and then have a break, and then another hour have a break. Um, And then uh, two zoos, I guess it was maybe three zoos, but they had like all day guest feeding programs, right? So anyone come and feed a draft at all times. Um, And so looking at the changes in behavior, um, it was a comparative study. Um, We had like 30 some giraffe in the in the studies, so. Um, multi-institutional research in zoos is pretty complicated, so I learned a lot about compounding <laughs> variables as well in that. Um, but it was a really good opportunity to see a lot of different, um, again, processes and way that, um, you know, 
that is a key, you know, visitor animal interaction area in a lot of zoos. And so understanding the animal welfare impacts of that, I think is important. And I'm happy to see that a lot of other scientists are doing work in that area, especially related to ambassador animals. Definitely. Definitely. What did you learn from the giraffe study? Well, we learned that uh, in the all day guest feeding programs where, you know, visitors could just feed a giraffe all day, giraffes just kind of stood around and waited for food. Okay. Um, so there was a dramatic increase in idleness, um, just kind of Again, standing, waiting behavior. Um, and um, anytime there was the intermediate guest feeding programs, we actually saw a lot more locomotion, a lot more activity amongst the draft, more, you know, kind of diverse repertoire of behavior. Um, and we also saw that with these guest feeding programs, we did see a reduction in like abnormal, um, like oral behaviors oh, where drafts might like, you know, lick an object or, um, uh, you know, may. Uh, process food or, or ruminate differently. So we just saw more normal, natural feeding behaviors, which makes sense, right? Yeah. Giraffes, you know, about 70% of their time in the wild um, is spent either feeding or ruminating or processing some sort of food. Um, and so a guest feeding program allows that kind of randomization of where food's going to be delivered, when food's going to be delivered. Sometimes it's comp more complex, complicated to get that food, right? If you have a, a child, like, dangling, <laughs> they got to reach for it. <laughs> yeah, right? They got to reach for it. So um, in a way, that much more closely mimics, you know, natural feeding in a lot of ways um, and allows animals to forage. I'm That's awesome. Really I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I've never really thought about it. We do try and do like randomized feeding with a lot yeah. of our animals, mm -hmm. and I've never thought of it specifically for the giraffe, how adding these feedings has kind of done that for us. Like It just <laughs> helps, right? It's yeah. all right. part of yeah. the... And I think that's, you know, one thing that I try to impress in my current role here and just, you know, even in my, my time as, in my previous role as animal uh, excellence manager, you know, that the visitor experience and animal welfare can go hand in hand to like benefit mm -hmm. both mm -hmm. parties, right? And that's... That's the best of, of, of both worlds, right? When we can do that, um, it doesn't need to be this, like, or. It can be an and. And I think that's a perfect way of having, like, this diversifies the environment and diversifies the experience of those giraffes. And ideally, we could be giving food all the time, right, in different places. But we know with animal care um, time and resources and you have a bunch of other animals to care for, this is a really nice way to also make sure that they're doing a lot of natural behaviors throughout the day. Yeah, and the guests get to be even more inspired because they're yes. a part of it. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. truly, I mean, that, those those are some of the most inspiring moments when you see it, like a small kid or a family, right, feeding a giraffe for the first time. That's a really yeah. special moment. Yeah. It's always fun being up on the giraffe feedings, just watching the family's reactions. Kids yeah. lose their minds. They like, do. <laughs> it's awesome. Good and bad ways. <laughs> Sometimes they cry. <laughs> you see a giraffe stick their 18-inch tongue out, sometimes like a horror movie. But... Sure, sure. <laughs> Awesome. So where'd you go from there? So uh, after graduate school, I actually did, uh, I, well, since I had spent a lot of time in the Midwest, I was like, let's get out of the Midwest, go somewhere else. I went down to Miami, Florida Fun. for uh, an internship at Zoo Miami. Um, and after that internship, I actually was a, an animal keeper there for um, a short while as well. Um, I worked with a lot of hoofstock and small carnivores, which are um, similar to what I did at Cincinnati. And that was uh, a really great time in my life as well. Uh, Miami was a super fun place to live, um, also very expensive, so yeah, yes, that, was, that was interesting. But uh, I had a lot of fun and learned a lot there. Um, but an opportunity came up at Disney's Animal Kingdom um, in, uh, what was that, 2013 now, where they were, hiring, they were starting their brand new like, welfare program at, at the uh, Animal Kingdom theme park. And so they were also doing some giraffe research. So it was kind of a good fit for me to slide into that role. Um, I had spent a lot of time at Michigan State looking at welfare assessment processes. Um, so joining the Disney team, um, we did a, they had a lot of construction, a lot of new projects going on around the theme park. Um, and so they wanted to monitor certain animals that were in closer proximity to that construction work. So um, we developed an institution-wide welfare assessment process. Um, I did some giraffe behavior research, uh, got to help collaborate on um, some initiatives related to geriatric animal care and kind of how we make sure that our older animals are still having great experiences. Um, worked on some tools, some trainings. Um, uh, and yeah, that was that was really great. Um, Disney is a whole nother place to work. Um, <laughs> it's so big, it's just so big. Uh, but what I really missed was the local kind of community feel that a oh. lot of zoos have. Mm -hmm. um, so 
when the opportunity came about here at Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Garden um, to start a welfare assessment and behavior research program here, I, I jumped at that chance and that opportunity. And um, I am, was so grateful to have the opportunity to join the zoo team in that capacity. So um, yeah, I came back here in 2017. Um, and that was, while well, obviously this team had been doing a lot of really great things for animals for decades and decades, uh, we knew that we could bring in a little bit of science to help inform you know, our care staff about how our animals are doing. Mm. Um, so that was really my, my goal was to partner with animal keepers um, to figure out how can we better understand and improve the experiences of our animals. So they know their animals better than anyone else does. There wasn't anything that like I was going to be able to like change that. Like they know their animals' personalities, their preferences, their motivations, what they like, what they don't like. Um, but what I could do, what my team of like volunteers and interns could do, is help collect like behavior data or space use data or environmental data um, that really helped to kind of complement and give more to the, to the bigger picture of what those animals' experiences were. So um, really happy to be back at the Cincinnati Zoo doing that work. Um, I will say it's funny, I have conversations with colleagues you know, quite regularly, because animal welfare science and behavior science is becoming more and more common in zoos and aquariums. And I talk to colleagues who are like, all right, how do I get started? What are my first approaches? This is what I'm struggling with or challenged by. And one thing that I'm always happy to say here is like, there is never a shortage of projects. Like keepers always have questions. <laughs> They're sure. always coming with ideas. And like, that is so different than a lot of other really? zoos and aquariums, from, at least from what I'm hearing through colleagues, yeah. as they are the ones that are like having to propose projects or ideas. So they're like really trying to like, they have to go out and get, you know, collect ideas from everywhere else. But, you know, I, I was really happy that here, that's never been the case. All the ideas come to me, all the questions come to me. So um, it's a really collaborative process here. And I think it's, it's worked really well. Um, over the last few years. Yeah, it definitely is a collaborative process. I feel like you're dealing with teams from all across the zoo, multiple teams at once. It can be a challenge, mm -hmm. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But that's interesting you say other zoos kind of struggle with keepers bringing projects to light because I feel like as a keeper, that's part of your job is to work on a way to continuously improve the life of your animal. And kind of like you mentioned, you have a team of interns and volunteers who would help you. It's hard for us as keepers to find time to do those observations, yeah. to see where in what space in the exhibit the animal's utilizing, what it's not utilizing, when it's feeding, when it's not feeding. We would love to be able to sit here for eight hours and watch our animals, but for sure. not always the case. <laughs> well, and I think that's something that, you know, I, you know, the time that you're spending with animals, you're actually doing, you know, developing those keeper animal relationships, right? Doing the enrichment, doing the training, healthcare procedures, right? Like those are really important times and that's what animal keepers are experts at. That's where their expertise, that's where their time, that's where their resources should be going in a big way is no one else can do that kind of work, right? So if I can get teen, uh, you know, volunteers or teens or interns to help collect some of this behavioral data um, that's throughout the day, you know, that's a good use of everyone's time. Also gives them some really good opportunities yeah. as well in mm -hmm. science. So, um, yeah. No, I think we all wish that we could st <laughs> stand there and watch our animals more. Um, I know a lot of keepers will say that. It's just, it's not the reality always. So it's a good, again, good partnership of, of time. Definitely. Are there any projects like what are what were some of the first ones you did here, Ooh. or any that stand out? Yeah. So, I mean, it was it was interesting how my time started here because uh, obviously, it is, as Mark alluded to, there's a lot of animal teams here and there's a lot of passion here. So, trying to pick through like kind of what are some of those first projects to really dive in with. And um, when I got here, we had a, a female polar bear that had just come in. Um, uh, to be a mate to our male polar bear little one at the time. Um, and so a lot of my first, my first research project was actually to look at their activity budgets and their space use and kind of like how she was adapting to this new space and how we could improve that experience for her. She was more of an anxious bear. We knew that, um, especially anxious around little one, uh, the male. Um, but it was really interesting, like seeing seasonally how things changed. And then there, there was that moment where they like clicked, right? And then they were you know, buddy, buddy, and they were playing in the water um, and doing the, the types of social behaviors that we wanted to see. Um, shortly after that, I also started um, looking at our elephants, our four elephants and their behavior and activity budgets throughout, um, basically throughout the 24-hour period, but also, you know, over seasons. And that, I mean, I think a lot of our listeners know that uh, we are investing a lot into our elephant program with 
um, Elephant Trek being part of you know kind of the the Keystone Project of our of our More Home to Rome campaign, and um, I'm happy that we've been able to make so much progress in terms of understanding our elephants' behavior um, and their experience and improving it even before that Elephant Trek habitat opens. Um, everything from having automatic feeders that can distri distribute food throughout the 24-hour period, or we've made habitat renovations so elephants can stay outside overnight, or that Sabu can go in all of the habitats in that area. Sabu is our, our male elephant. Um, you know, we've been introducing elephants to one another that hadn't previously spent time together, and um, doing a lot more with training and with, um, you know, different husbandry behaviors. And um, I know for me, you know, whether it was the Polar Bear Project or this project or many of the others, seeing how much the keepers can, seeing them grow and change and like use this data to really get excited and, and try new things and, um, and honestly do the things that they've always wanted to do, which is improve the experience of their animals. So that's been probably the highlight of, of that role was to, was to just kind of illuminate what the opportunities are and then see the keepers do what they do best, which was make their animals' lives better. So that was very cool. Those were some great projects. Um, but yeah, did a lot of others. Also, we looked at a lot of animal environments as well, including like UV light and temperature and, um, you know, kind of sound levels. So we've done some of that too, but. Yeah, which are things may not always be like on the forefront of our minds because if it's not affecting us, or our eyes, sure. or our hearing, we don't have the same senses as yeah. these animals. So I think that's right. really neat that we're doing that and thinking through all of that. And a common theme you brought up is that in zoos and aquariums these days, we are trying to get better every single day. Yep. Like, no matter how great we are now, I hope that we're way better in 10 years and mm -hmm. I can say, oh my gosh, we've done right. so, so many changes and made so many things better since then, uh, which is just something that continues and has happened through zoo history. I think that's one of the most, well, and I'm sure, I mean, I'm biased, right, because I love the zoonoquarium field, but I think, you know, I think that is a really unique and important aspect of all the people that work in this this field is that we're so passionate and we want to constantly be making improvements. Mm -hmm. We want to have a bigger impact always on whether it's, you know, the animals in our care or the visitors that come through our gates or, you know, the, the wild places that we're trying to conserve, you know, whether it's here in our local community or across the globe, like, we are always trying to make an impact and improve upon that impact. So, um, I don't know that that's what keeps me coming here like every day and wanting to work with people because there's so many new and exciting things going on all the time. Definitely, one of the things you briefly mentioned was cameras and getting 24-hour access mm -hmm. to our animals, which I think has been one mm -hmm. of the coolest and most helpful things that we have here because you can come in in the morning and an animal is acting a certain way or a group of animals is behaving differently and you can pull up the footage from overnight which in the past if you don't have cameras on your animals you don't really know what they're doing overnight but it can really affect how we feed our animals or um you know one time I came in and BB had a droopy ear and I was like oh my gosh what's going on and I called Dr. Nolman and we you know did all sorts of um, creams and things to help it. And then I, when I had a moment, I went back and it turns out Fiona just slept on her ear <laughs> with it bent down for like uh, eight hours straight. So like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. So it really wasn't a true medical issue, but I was able to figure it out because mm -hmm. we have this, you know, that's another thing talking to colleagues, yeah. like everyone's like, you have that many cameras yes. in that many areas. Wow. Like what opportunity you have. And yeah. we've totally been it's been a great uh, asset to us, yes. especially for things like that. I think they're so yeah. helpful. We're definitely really fortunate to have that. It's a nice tool in your pocket. If something yep. does go wrong, you can always backtrack and look mm -hmm. back. Another thing I wanted to touch on with you, we kind of mentioned, Jenna had mentioned like 24-hour access for some animals. I feel like that's becoming more and more common in zoos and aquariums is instituting choice for animals, giving mm -hmm. them freedom to choose their space usage, their feeding times, whatever. We yep. talked just a little bit about how choice is being brought into zoos and aquariums for, for I'm sorry, choice for animals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's the, the ideas of choice and control have been around now for a while, but I think we're really starting to dive into like what it can mean, um, for animals in our care. Um, you know, choice being, you know, I think just the choice to have, to choose different opportunities for what the animal wants to do, right? Or what it needs to fulfill its experience or to fulfill its its behavioral needs or social needs or space needs. 
Um, so when I think of choice, I think about it as opportunities. What opportunities are we providing to the animal? Um, recognizing that there's not unlimited choice, right? Mm -hmm. There's not unlimited opportunity, even for humans. We have a lot of choices right. in our day, right? <laughs> um, not all choices are the best ones that you should be <laughs> Like, I could eat ice cream for all three meals of my day if I want to. Those are probably, that's not the choice that I should make or not the choice that would be available to me. Um, but for as much as we can, right, choice is great. It's great if, if you are having dessert for one of your meals, it's nice to have four or five different options when mm -hmm. you're at a restaurant, right? So um, for our animals, I think it's a lot about, you know, having choice for how they're going to engage with their space, right? Um, do they want to rest in on you know a grassy bed, or do they want to rest in a sand pit, or rest in a shallow pool? Um, how are they going to find the resources they need, whether it be shade or heat? Um, uh, but I think choice also to engage like socially, right? Whether they're you know I am going to train with my keepers right now, or mm -hmm. I don't want to train yeah. with my keepers <laughs> right now, or I want to spend time with these animals and not these animals. Um, you know, when we think about like certain social groups of animals, you know, they may have fission fusion type social groups where sometimes they're with some, you know, conspecifics and other times they're um, with others. Um, our bonobos are, I think, a great example of that where, you know, sometimes they're like, we're, we're not going to like be in that social group and uh, maybe want some time alone, right? So it's, it's being able to read behavioral cues and understand what choices that our animals are trying to make. Um, <clears throat> I also think especially with the enriching experiences that we provide to our animals all day, um, having variety there and choice that the animals can choose to engage with certain ones that they might prefer or that they're motivated to, to experience um, is really important. But um, <clears throat> I think in the past, you know, and Mark, what, what you were kind of mentioning was the 24-hour access piece. Um, in the past, I think a lot of what we thought about was... Um, make sure animals are safe all mm -hmm. the time, right? And that is obviously one of our top priorities here in a, in a zoo and aquarium environment is to keep our animals healthy and safe. Um, but we also want to recognize that there's also, um, you know, opportunities that might be limited um, if we go too, sway too far, swing too far in one direction, right? So um, giving animals the opportunity to be outside at night could be really great though too, right? That mm -hmm. you're going to have a much wider uh, opportunity for different behaviors, Sleeping outside, maybe foraging overnight outside, um, you know, seeing the stars or whatever it may be, um, and we can still maintain safety. So mm -hmm. it's just kind of rethinking, you know, how we can how we can do it all. It doesn't have to be this or that. We can do it all. And we just have to kind of think through it strategically. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of gray area with some of that stuff, and I feel like mm -hmm. it's always about kind of finding that right balance, right? Yep. Like you said, obviously safety is our number one concern. I'd be safest if I was in a padded room all day long, you know right? What I mean? But exactly. I'd also be losing my mind. But so. that's not, yeah, that's not the experience <laughs> yeah. that that we want to promote. And so I think that's where what I've seen demonstrated here so well is that's where like collaboration and strategy and like actually talking talking it through and finding that balance, finding that compromise, and then also trying some things, mm -hmm. right? We can try things, and I think Cincinnati Zoo is, we try a lot here, and we end up being quite innovative because of it. Um, we can try and we can assess, right? And that's where some of the science comes in, too, and what we've done in the past is when we want to try a new thing, when we want to give, for example, elephants access into a certain space overnight, we can go ahead and monitor what they're doing, right? And, like, we saw that they were choosing to sleep outside, in the middle and like in the middle of their habitat and on you know kind of a, a sand mound and that's what they were choosing to do and so that was great to kind of validate all right this was a good choice to make mm -hmm. for right now and if we want to reevaluate in a few months we can do that um but i think as we try new things the key is also to to kind of you know have those goals and be able to like evaluate were you successful in that definitely how do you go about doing that though like I feel like the evaluation process is so tricky because some of the stuff you can quantify and some of it you can't quantify. Mm -hmm. So, like, what techniques do you do to assess this stuff? Well, for the quantitative evaluation, like, that is where, like, behavior research can just come to play. That's taking scans every so often or um, counting certain behaviors or actually recording where an animal is at or what it's doing. Um, and you can compile that over a course of days, nights, whatever it might be, and, and kind of put together some... I love graphs. I love my <laughs> Excel, so I'm always happy to dive into a spreadsheet. Um, but that's where you can kind of pull some of that data. Um, but I think what is unique is that qualitative side as well, and that's what I think keepers are really good at evaluating better than, of course, what I might be able to do. But 
what are those like uh, subtle changes in behavior or personality or energy or mood um, that comes from some of these changes that we make? And that's what you all are going to evaluate best. Um, and then again, that's where that collaboration comes in and trying to unite both both sets of data, as you might say, um, to evaluate it and decide where you want to go next. Definitely. I think that's one of the things that people often assume we might know like a little bit of medical stuff, but really we just are here to observe and know the animals mm -hmm. and decide when something might be off right. or they might not be feeling well and then we call the vets to help. And that's when you like pull in those have, other partners. Yes, we all yeah. have these different parts that help make it whole. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's really tricky though because I feel like as a keeper, you know, you can kind of get a read on some of those things, right? You can read the behavior and the feedings and you can pick up that something's not wrong, but it's nice to have that extra mm -hmm. help to come mm -hmm. in and say, yeah, actually have the data behind it to say, this is the issue. This is what's causing a problem. And this is why you're seeing X, Y, Z behavior, whatever it may right. be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I saw that a lot in my, you know, my former role focusing on animal welfare and behavior. I think even more so now in my current role as kind of leading the whole animal department and supporting all the animal care teams, the animal health and nutrition team, our animal welfare science team, and then all of our ambassador animal outreach programs, behind the scenes tours, like I kind of get to uniquely see from above like all of these different interactions and points of, of how people collaborate and how people come together and that has been a really cool um, thing for me to see just a little bit more all of those different dynamics and really how important the whole picture is um, in all of these different stakeholders is to make sure animals are having great lives here. Definitely. So you kind of touched on, <clears throat> excuse me, your new job. Mm -hmm. So, and you kind of mentioned what your favorite part is, but what do you do now? Like, <laughs> give us a little more detail. Like, what um, are your responsibilities at this point? Yeah, so uh, my responsibilities are really to support all of the people that have any sort of interaction with our animals. Um, so uh, my role has certainly shifted more, and I think it'll shift over time a little bit. It's still relatively new, but uh, basically managing and supporting people. That's okay. a big part of what I do. Um, so whether it's trying to figure out how we've done a lot of hiring over the last year, so that's definitely taken up uh, quite a bit of time, which I am so happy to say to to have brought on so many incredible people um, into full-time roles, including Mark, yeah. on the Africa team. Thank you. Um, Thanks for being there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we've, we've brought on some really great folks, and, you know, everything from all of our part-timers to our full-time staff, where they've been here six months to many years, like, we have a really great team. So being able to, to support and see different folks grow um, in the areas that they're excited about and want to drive innovation toward, that's been very cool. Um, but I also have to manage now the budget process, and some of our strategic plans. Good and thing you love Excel. Do. I do love Excel. I know, I know. Um, and, uh, you know, just more so like the strategic direction of things. And that is, you know, again, in, in that role, I think in my current role specifically, I see where like, okay, we need to really start focusing on how we can connect the behavior and welfare science piece to like this team a little bit more, right? Or we know that we want to have these animals, um, you know, these ambassador animals, uh, engaging in new behaviors in these new formats with our education team or with our wild encounters team. How can we go about doing that? What partners do we need? Okay, it's probably going to be, you know, maybe Barbara, our curator of nutrition. Like, there's going to be a diet component to this. There's probably also going to be a training component to this. Who else is doing that work elsewhere in the zoo? Oh, cool. Maybe we work with, partner with the, um, you know, our, our aviculture team and our bird experience team, and they can also help consult on this. So it's I, I do a lot of bridging and trying to bridge folks together. I also am probably one of the um, major liaisons to like other departments in the zoo too, so trying to foster more collaboration, whether it be with horticulture or with our facilities team. Um, you know, we just I'm doing a lot of stuff with uh, resources right now and like um, processes, protocols, how we people connect with one another. So I've been working a lot with our IT team. Uh, to try to get things a little bit more organized and make sure that we're efficiently communicating um, our knowledge and uh, with each other. So, um, yeah, you it's can't a lot tell more, he's a busy guy. If you it's can't a tell, lot of stuff. But uh, yeah, I'm busy. We're all busy. This zoo is a busy, busy place. We have a lot of things going on. But um, you know, I still sit in on some of the habitat design 
uh, projects and some of the strategy related to those. Um, and uh, yeah, I just wish I had more time. That's the one thing I wish, like, because, you know, there's so much that I also know that I'm not doing that I want to do as much of, which is like visiting animal care areas mm-hmm. and checking in with people. Um, I try to do as much as I can, but it is, there's a lot going on. I hope at some point things slow down a bit. They I think will. it they will have at times. Right? They have to. For all of us. Yeah, no, and they will. And, and it's just, there's been a lot of change this last year, which everyone feels it, everyone knows it. Last year, two years, I guess. Yeah. Um, and eventually that'll, it'll smooth out a bit. And it already is in some ways. Um, but of course it just means that it's getting replaced by new other exciting projects. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's a lot of good things to, to celebrate. Wish I just had more time. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Don't we all? Yeah. I do, I do feel like you've got a really kind of fun, interesting position in that you're kind of in charge of like the bigger picture stuff, I feel like. Whereas like that is something that I am not good at at all. I can't see a year into the future. I'm really good at day-to-day <laughs> management with animals, but yeah. it's not always for easy for me to see the bigger picture at hand. I feel like that's something that you're really great at. Well, thank but, you. That is something that I, I try to be really good at, it, and it's, you know, that's the tough thing. Like, Christina, who is, you know, one of my main partners in, in leading the animal department, Christina Gorsuch, you know, we talk about all the time, like, keepers and, and a lot of stuff, you know, on the day-to-day level, you're dealing with a lot, right? And so sometimes there's that, I don't have that perspective that you have, and so best scenarios when we can kind of share, like, all right, this is where we're going long-term, how do we connect that with the day-to-day and make sure that everyone is moving forward together? Um, and so that's something that we'll continue to, to try to do, but... Um, yeah, it's, it's tough to think about where we're, I'm always challenged with like, all right, where do you want the department to be in five years? I'm like, oh my gosh, we're still trying to do so much on like a day to day, week to week (laughs) level or get through the summer, get through the fall. But, um, it is important to kind of look through those different lenses. Um, and when we're all doing those, looking through those different lenses, we can come together and make sure they're on the right path. Definitely. Definitely. Do you have a favorite project you are working on right now or something? You mentioned there's a lot of projects you Mm -hmm. wish you could work on, like, do you yeah. wish you could get back more to the animal side of things? I do miss that a lot. Yeah. yeah, that is that is certainly, and that's, you know, maybe in time there's there's a, a way for me to kind of be back engaged with some of that work. Um, we just hired a new animal excellence scientist, uh, Kat Rizal, um, who is fantastic and is getting started with some of the back into into the behavior research and welfare assessment. So. I think because that was your formal position. That was my formal yeah. position. Yeah, yeah, that was my former position. So I think once we get, st- and we're already starting to get, uh, think about like how do we do some like broad scale behavior research across the zoo. We're talking about um, particularly elephant research. What that's going to look like right now versus in a few years. Um, she's uh, looking at our quality of life assessment process and how we um, are man like monitoring the experience of geriatric animals. So I'm definitely getting back into some of those. Um, you know, animal care and welfare issues and projects that I'm so passionate about. Um, but yeah, I do have to, there's a lot to try to manage all at once. So I have to be thoughtful about like, what is my place in, in some of these? And we have a great team. So I also just need to support them to do the great work. Um, I don't need to necessarily be as directly involved in all of it. That's the hardest part about, I feel like yes. growing in your career you as an animal some, care person. You have to let some other things go. Yeah, and um, you have to give up animal time if you're you going do. to move up to certain positions. And that, yep. like, you know, can really make or break a decision on whether or not it you is. want to try and pursue, like, a mm-hmm. more growth in your career or stay where you are because yeah. sometimes it's hard to leave I animals. had a colleague say to me recently, because we were just talking about that exactly, like, how do you let go of certain things? And like, these are things that you're really great at, right? And you have expertise in and you're, um, you know, contributing so much to, and this was not even necessarily about me, about someone else on the team. Um, and that, that colleague said, yeah, and that's great. And they've given a lot to that project or that program or to that animal. Maybe this is also an opportunity for someone else to come in and do that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so just because you might be passing up an opportunity to try something new, right. To like grow or to change or to challenge yourself and you have to give something up. It also means that now someone else can come in and have that opportunity and run with it. And maybe they're going to bring something great or they're going to learn or grow or challenge themselves in some unique ways. So try to think about it in that yeah. way too. Right. There is by sometimes stepping aside or stepping in a different direction, you allow someone else to, That's a good to way to come think in of it. And, yeah. and yeah, 
it still is hard when you have to give up something <laughs> that you love. But, right? um, yeah, but it's but you find other things that you love too. Yeah, so. that's true. Yes, every time I would switch a department, I'd be like, Yeah, I'm gonna miss this animal so much. It's gonna be so hard. Yeah. I don't know how. Like, I'll not work with them. And then you find another animal that you love oh just my gosh. as much. For zookeepers, I mean, that that's a tough thing. I mean, that yep. so much passion and and time and, and relationship goes into working with certain yeah. animals. But you're right. You do get to then give that to another set of animals at some point. Right. Yeah. And you did mention we brought back on Cat as our animal excellence scientist. Mm -hmm. It's really nice for us because I feel like that's been a challenge with, I mean, there have been millions of challenges with COVID, but it has been tricky because budget cuts hit with COVID like everywhere else in the world. And that is something that kind of got cut out was like the animal behavioral assessment side of things. Just time. We just kind of ran out of time and resources and capacity Mm -hmm. to do some of that work. So I'm so happy that we're getting back on track with that because that's a key piece of what makes our department and our zoo great is mm-hmm. our commitment to animal excellence mm-hmm. and bringing in that science um, into kind of the animal care side of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it'll be good. Can I backtrack just a little bit? Yeah, though? sure. You, I know you'd mentioned at the top of the show, you used to be a keeper at Zoo Miami. Mm-hmm. How do you live? In, I've visited Miami. How do you live in Miami and get <laughs> anything done? How do you be productive in a city like Miami? That is a great, great question. So I actually, uh, so I lived right outside the zoo. Um, I lived um, actually with um, another, uh, someone else who worked at the zoo. And so um yeah, we would just make sure that there was time for, like, obviously, you know, anytime you're in the zoo, like, your heart and soul are there and yeah. you're working. And, and she was a, a, an associate veterinarian there at the time. So, like, she was there all the time, giving, giving, giving. Um, so we just tried to make sure that we had, I mean, on the weekends, right? It was like, <laughs> how do we travel? Where do we go? Like, oh, let's go over to the Everglades and do a boat tour. Or, like, let's go down to the Keys and go snorkeling or... Um, I had some friends at the time that also lived like downtown and South Beach were doing internships. So we always try to find new restaurants um, and a lot of really great food, a lot of really great music, a lot of great dancing. So we, we crammed a lot into it. <laughs> so I had a lot of fun. Younger back then, you yes. might be oh, tired. Totally I think different. that's my internship. I yes. did a lot more. Yes, <laughs> Like yes. after work, you Now have I'm energy. like, oh my gosh. But the one thing, Miami, I mean, the traffic there was like oh, unreal. Yeah. So if you wanted to go anywhere or do anything, you had to like really plan for it. But it was, man, it was, it was fun. <laughs> that thing is really huge. It's really cool. They have awesome hoof stuff, oh like my different gosh. types of antelope. But you can. It's massive. I went and we rented like a bike on. You have a, to. Yes. You have to. Run, you have to rent these bikes. Um, Zoo Miami is so. I, I forget how many like miles of walking it is, but it's also so hot and so yes. humid. And so anyone that goes there and they start walking. I mean, we, there were so many people that would just, like, pass out on the oh sidewalk. Oh, my gosh. It was terrible. <laughs> oh, no. Because like, we'd always be monitoring and checking in on people because, oh, I mean, no. in the summer, it was brutal. Um, but, yeah, the bikes are the way to do it. If yeah. anyone ever goes to Miami, rent the bikes and just kind of paddle around. <laughs> yeah. Um, the paths are huge. Yeah. And it's, oh, it's yeah, really it's nice. It's so fun. It's, it's like a different so, way to see a zoo. <laughs> it is. It is. And they have an incredible, incredible aviary that is, it's like the size of, like, a football field. It's huge but that zoo's got a long history it's got some really cool animals a really good group of people um yeah do you have a favorite animal you worked with down there um yeah yeah um so we had oh man now there's like a lot um choose just one i know (laughs) yeah 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 um the clouded leopards were really cool we had a, a young pair of clouded leopards um there was also a uh a bongo, like an old old lady bongo. Um, sorry, no, it wasn't a bongo. Oh my gosh, I'm thinking of the bongos here. It was a um, a bantang, and oh. she was so sweet. She was like <laughs> so sweet. Um, she was great. Uh, we had three Indian rhinoceroses that I cared for. Um, one was probably two years old at the time, so she was. She was quite fun and playful and, like, was always really interested to see what everyone was doing. And, a lot of energy um, still. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it was a, a, man, that, that, Zoo Miami has an incredibly diverse collection of animals. And so, yeah, I had, a, we had, I cared for everything from Bantang to Indian Rhino, Lowland to Noah, both species of camel. Isn't there a giant, giant eland there? Mm-hmm. I remember just being blown away by yeah. how, how giant yes. it was. Yes. I had never seen one before. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. Do you have a favorite animal here? Or a favorite? 
type? Or? I don't. I don't. And that's a little bit on purpose. Um, I have a lot of, I just say I have a lot of favorites. Um, but usually whenever I'm doing a project or I'm getting more involved with the team or with a, a research project, like that's where I find new favorite animals. Yeah. So that's, you know, there's, um, it ends up being the animals that, similar to keepers, right, that you have relationships with mm-hmm. or that you like know a little bit more about or you've invested a little bit more in. So um, I've spent a lot of time observing elephants. So those four elephants um, are have a special place in my heart. But that's not to say that all the other animals... Um, don't as well. I just maybe haven't gotten to work with them or spend yeah. so much time with them. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of great, great animal stories here in the zoo. Yeah, kind of like Jenna said about switching departments. Like once you actually spend some more time with an animal, you always pick up on and start to love something yeah. about them. Like yeah. there's all the animals have so much personality, and especially the elephants. My goodness, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think any of us thought that guinea fowl would be some of our favorite. Animals. <laughs> oh my gosh, they're so fun yeah. to watch. <laughs> yeah. I was like, why do you even yeah. have them? They're so small, no yeah. one's going to see them, and they really like uh, the public picks up on them. We all yeah. love yes, them. It's kind just, of hilarious. They're making noise, chasing yeah. each other around the exhibit. Yeah. As a birder, I'm, I really love you know kind of learning more about the birds in in different parts of our zoo and their personalities. And yeah, the African savanna habitat, like. I mean, it's mostly birds at this point. It really like, is, yeah. The dynamics, in, like, there's always something going yes. on. There's something. always some the sort of... The new species <laughs> habitats in general are always so Well, fun. and that's yeah. one thing that I've been really excited to, in a lot of the change of the last, you know, few years, or, well, just year, I would say, but um, a lot of new members of our animal leadership team and new keeper staff are bringing a lot of new ideas and I know mixed species habitats are definitely something that a lot of people folks are collaborating mm-hmm. on. So now, for example, with our Komodo dragon Hudo, we have a bunch of zebra finches, a very, very growing flock of zebra finches. <laughs> and they're like, add so much activity and noise. And like, I mean, we, ha- we, we have like a photo of like a fledgling, like sitting on Hudo the other oh day. My God. Like, and I mean, you know, obviously it's safe for the, for the finches, but it's really cool to think about like what, what can be. And I know, um, some of our primate areas and bird areas are also talking now and thinking about like what mixed species habitats can we do there um, for different. Um, I know our reptile team would really love to get like more tortoises in certain habitats. You know, thinking about how we can care for more animals, give more to our conservation programs, and also I think it just provides a much more well-rounded, diverse experience for the animals in yes. those habitats. Yeah, they I mean, look at that other. African savanna <laughs> habitat. There is like. Never a dull moment no. there. And I think that's important for those animals and their experiences to have, you know, mixed species environments where yeah. it's very much more normal, natural behavior mm-hmm. um, yeah. for a lot of those animals. Yeah, very natural environments for them to be able to just share space with so many different species mm-hmm. in the habitat. It's also nice with the savannah because we've got, like, there's kind of little coves tucked away and there's little corners where if you want to get some alone time, you can go get some alone time, and, and that's hang where out that choice yourself. comes yeah. into play, right? That choice and opportunity. Make sure that animals have the choice to, like, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be to to hide from visitors or hide from another animal or just have some downtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's important. Definitely, it all works out. Well, was there anything that we didn't touch on that you really Ooh. wanted to get to, or um, anything we kind of missed? I don't think so. I mean, I think this. You know, the last, I've been at the Sensei Zoo now for four and a half years, and I have never been more impressed with the organization and a group of people that, like, go the extra mile all the time and are, like, constantly innovating and trying new things. So I'm just looking very much forward to the future ahead of us because I think we have a lot of good things coming our way. Yeah, we definitely do. We definitely, I think that's just something about the zoo. Though. It's like the energy of this place. It's infectious. Like, and the energy of our community, too. Yeah. The amount of like, love and passion and excitement from our community towards this place is I think that really makes unreal. A, yeah. a different zoo. Like, a lot of mm-hmm. other zoos don't have that support right. and the love from and the And even community. just, you know, as an orga- you know, organization in this city, like, we're leading the way in a, in a lot. And, um, you know, hopefully that, you know, especially in conservation and, like, sustainability resource sustainability like hopefully we can inspire others um to do that and and right now we're focusing a lot on diversity equity access and inclusion so i know we're working together with other partners across the city and learning and and growing and challenging one another in that space as well and um i think just how we engage with our community in conservation that's where we're going to see a lot of i think really cool potential in these next few years um I'm, i'm very excited and we do have such a good opportunity to be a leader in that field because the community loves this zoo. People yes. love the zoo. If we, if the zoo backs something, the community is going to pick mm-hmm. up on it in yep. turn. And yep. 
Yeah, it's like a trickle down effect. Yes. I love it. Cool. I do have trivia for you guys, though. Trivia. If you're up for it. Oh man, I hope I do better <laughs> you're this up time. For it. Oh, are you playing too, Jenna? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you both. Yes. Are. No, that's the issue. <laughs> okay. Is I usually do decent, and man, I don't know what order these episodes okay. will come out in, but my episode with Amanda was pretty sad. Okay. <laughs> oh. Jenna's just too hard on herself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm All interested right. to see what you've come up with. I didn't with. know we were going to compete. Now I'm yeah. extra excited. So question number one, we've talked a lot about animal welfare. Question number one is just kind of a, it's its own one-off kind of thing, just to show like how important animal welfare is, not only for zoos, but for our animals at home. I'm sure most people that work in zoos have pets. Most people have mm-hmm. animals in their care at home. But how many households in the United States have a cat or a dog or both? How, how many, many households? How many households are there? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, is it a percentage? Nope. How many? Oh, man. It's a rough number. I'll give you plus so, or minus. I'll give you plus or minus three in million. In this country. In this country, in the U.S. Okay, so, Jenna, to give some perspective, I think, what's their last, like, census count? Is it, like, 380 million people in this country? Something like that? I think that's not, it's almost that's 400. Right, right? Really? That's I lower than I would have yeah. guessed. Okay. Yeah. Um, they think of households. I appreciate he, he's helping me out. Gave me a tip. Well, I'm trying to process it, so I'm yeah. just going to process out loud. There you go. Uh, so I'm going to say there's 150. 50 million households. I like it. Assuming yeah. there's some families and yeah. some non. <sighs> Man, he's helping me out with math. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to say 100 million. 100 million. Oh. Jenna? I'm trying to think like all my friends, what, what's the majority that they all have something? <laughs> okay, I'll say 127 million. 100. You guys are both a little bit high. Oh. Oh, you're on the right track, though. It's 86 million. Okay. Roughly, roughly 86 million. So it's almost million. half. Or yeah. like about half. Yeah. I, I mean, assuming our, my math was correct. Right. <laughs> you're, I don't really know. It's actually roughly two-thirds of U.S. households. Roughly. Oh. So it's, okay, yeah. so I was. That was yeah. about right. You're okay. on the right track. Right. You guys I would have said two-thirds, <laughs> and that's why I went from 150 down to 100, because I was like, I feel like two-thirds is about right. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Good so, time. I mean, not only is animal welfare a growing field yeah. in zoos and aquariums it's also for our pets at home mm-hmm. we can give our pets the best lives we can and yeah and we should we should definitely do you guys have pets at home yeah yes. two cats okay two dogs <laughs> what about you i don't right now i don't yeah soon maybe i was gonna say what is wrong with you well, <laughs> okay because it was i was renting i was renting recently and my landlord would not allow pets so oh yeah that was the thing so yeah. i had to wait until i moved and i just moved so maybe soon cool Christmas puppy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do at home without my cats, honestly. <laughs> Alright, next segment. We've just got various animals throughout the zoo. You guys are going to have to be name their favorite enrichment item. Do you know That's this your test. It's a, I'll say this is a little bit subjective here. I don't have all the scientific data. Is it data. multiple choice? Not, not oh. multiple choice. I don't have all the data that David right. has. But this is the qualitative data, right? Exactly. This is, this is where though. the keepers know their This their is a little best. subjective. So I've okay. consulted some keepers. So this is subjective. The keepers feel like okay. this is their favorite kind of enrichment item. Jenna, you might overrule me here because you have more experience with the first animal on our list. Okay. But this is what I think her favorite enrichment item is. Your first animal is Fiona. What is Fiona's favorite enrichment? Well, could be any. It doesn't necessarily have to be an item. It could be any enrichment given to the animal. What do you think Fiona's favorite enrichment is? I mean, we get the biggest reactions with scent enrichment. Scent. Okay. Oh. But That's it doesn't. Not what I went with. But it doesn't last as long as a puzzle feeder. Her mother makes great enrichment. <laughs> <laughs> Low key, the best enrichment right yeah. now is Tucker. Right there. Tucker is yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he was a toy Tucker. brought in just for yeah. Fiona. <laughs> yes. Poor guy needs a break. Do you do you want to guess or do you want me to first? You go first. I don't know. Yeah, you go first. Well, I'm just interested to hear what you think because. <laughs> like, can can I have like? Because obviously, right, like, so I think about enrichment for all of our animals <laughs> and all of the different taxa across It's all over the place. Can you give me, like, <laughs> five or, like, three to choose from? Or is it... Oh, I have another idea. Or you just go ahead, and then I'll, I'll, I'll feed off that. Well, okay, so you, 
maybe if I give you the types that she yeah. likes or gets. So we have just toys, like mm -hmm. giant toys that she can push around and play with. Then we have like puzzle feeders that mm -hmm. she can knock around or push around and food comes out. So that's mm. probably above the toys. And then she loves different smells. So coffee breath, Reese, if you've had a Reese's Chocolate, peanut butter yeah, cup, she'll know. just yeah, like try no and climb way. out of the habitat to get to you. <laughs> yeah, um, it's real cute. <laughs> and then, okay, so I'm, this is my favorite. That's what I'm going to tell you. Okay. When we, I have the divers smear honey on the glass and then we, I cut squash really thin and then they stick it to it. And then she comes up and she licks the glass in front that's of everyone. That's cute. So that's my favorite. I didn't even know we did that. Okay. That's really, oh, yeah. I'll that's show you creative. Picture. Yeah. David, do you have a guess? See, so like I know like Tucker, <laughs> when he his keepers were like he really likes the like like the weeble wobble and like, mm -hmm. the toys like move around. So that was what I was gonna say for Fiona, but I I'm gonna go with the puzzle feeder. Okay. Puzzle feeder. My, I'm glad that you said that, Jenna, because what I have written down is honey smears with produce. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I was going to ask you who you asked. Did you ask the team or just yourself? No, just myself. Okay. I was just thinking to myself. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, so it's really just what Mark thinks is the favorite <laughs> in Rich Animal. Now the animal thinks it's the favorite Extremely in Extremely subjective here. Right. Too. Like, what is my favorite yeah, to watch? No, my favorite fine. to that's see fair. them get is It that. is fun. when the, Like Jenna said, when the divers do a dive day, sometimes, especially for a breakfast or something in the morning, for an event that we host they'll smear honey all over the windows they'll stick the produce the squash the cucumber on it fiona will be on her back legs just licking lapping the glass it's oh super fun to see. she has to use her core strength so it's mm -hmm. physically good for yeah. her no. yeah. <laughs> she loves puzzle feeders though she'll push those around feeders, yeah. i don't feel yeah. too bad about that answer. no that's not yeah. a bad answer all right next animal up john the lion our african lion Big John. Anything he can roll. You're on the right track. Right? I'll like tell you that much. Yeah, you're on the right like... track. I w yeah, I would definitely say his uh, giant weeble toy. Yeah. Weeble toy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Will go nuts. He makes it his own treadmill. So he'll pull it, <laughs> pull it into a door opening. Yeah. And then he just stands over it and paws at it. Yeah, a hundred percent. You guys got it. Yeah, Some that giant weeble. Right there. He's obsessed with this thing. Like you'll see him, he'll like go through hunting behavior and actually yeah. tackle this weevil <laughs> and mount it like and a kill or something. He gets really mad at it too when it comes because it it's like a, you know, so it, it's a weighted so thing. So yeah. it goes back and forth, yeah. and he'll get so mad when he wants to eat, but it keeps weebling back towards him. <laughs> smack it, and then it gets more force and it comes back. It comes back, yeah. Yeah. It's very entertaining to watch. A big workout for him too, because that I don't know how much that weevil weighs, but oh, it's sure yeah. it's gotta be a lot. A pain to move around. Yeah, yeah that thing weighs a lot. For sure. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have our Asian elephants. Ooh. Favorite enrichment event for the Asian or items for the Asian elephant. Did you just give it away with the? Event? I, I, I may have misspoke. Totally did. May have misspoke. <laughs> <laughs> I know what my guess is because you gave me a hint. Do you want to go first? I think the bamboo forest that we do for them. They do love brows. Yeah, I was going to say that. Or some, some other sort of like feeding, like say like boomer balls with like grain in them or like their fire hose um, feeding enrichment. Like those sometimes are big fans of that. Or... I know a lot of different enrichment, but like they have like the popcorn. That's um, my favorite to watch. And they like blow the popcorn out. I, I know that. I was gonna say that might be my favorite. Though. I don't know if that's their favorite. Um, something with food, definitely. Yeah, so very browse. food motivated. Yeah, Jenna's got it though. It's the, the volunteer band. enrichment committee will set up the bamboo forest oh, yeah. for them. It's so great. Special shout out to the volunteer enrichment committee, by the way. Yeah. Huge group of volunteers that come in. And develop the most insane amazing mm -hmm. enrichment items yes. for our animals but yeah they'll actually dig holes into the sand they'll stand the bamboo upright and plant yeah. it up they'll i actually have not seen this but it's i consulted cool. amanda she said it's incredible when it, yeah. when it happens yeah i'll have to see it sometime no social media for mark so you don't, yeah. you don't see these <laughs> i miss out on these events oh. <laughs> all right next up we have ally the aardvark Allie from Night Hunters. The Arctic. I'm 
some sort of substrate, like for digging. Mm. Mulch? Mulch is my guess. I think it's going to be food related, and yeah. I think it is... Oh, do they have one of those cricket feeders? No. Oh, well, they do in that area, so maybe. My gut tells me something with, like, avocado. I feel like... Uh, you guys are both off on this one. But <laughs> in, in, in your defense, uh, I don't think you ever would have guessed it. Sometimes the simplest enrichment is the best enrichment. She's apparently obsessed with a garbage bin. There's oh, just, a, there's just yeah. an empty garbage bin they give her, and right. she goes nuts for it. So, <laughs> so, does she try and get in it? Or she, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. So she goes crazy it's for this her garbage own bin. Hole. Yeah, <laughs> her own little burrow she has. Yes. Yeah. All right, last one we got up here the red pandas. Ooh, enrichment. I'll accept a couple different answers for this one, actually. Uh, all I can think of is his favorite foods. Um, hmm. Their personality, they have different personalities, too, so... Yeah, they're a little all over the place. That's why I'd accept a couple answers here, because uh, it kind of depends on the panda, I think. That's tough. I would say apples or grapes if we were just picking their favorite food, but yes. that's not enrichment. Mm -mm. That's part of the diet. Yeah. I'm going to say something that, like, again, just because I really don't know. Something <laughs> that, uh, that moves or, like, makes noise. So, like, maybe, like, some sort of, like, little mini boomer ball or... Um... You guys are both on the right track with this one. So one oh, thing they really love theory. is... Apples inside like cardboard tubes. They have to okay. kind of dig open the cardboard tubes to okay. get to the apple chunks. They love that. They love the hammock. There's a fire hose hammock that mm. they had made that you can hang out on habitat that they really love. And then Cola, especially one of the males, once again, he's obsessed with the garbage bin. It's, it's <laughs> honestly, when you would go clean in the habitat, you would have to take like the garbage bin that you're actually using for garbage and then just an empty can an empty one, so for him to play with because he's always trying to jump in the cans. That's awesome. <laughs> Fun. They have that was a fun down. quiz. But no, you guys did really good. good. I'm That's impressed. Good. <laughs> I'm impressed. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. We have one final question. Okay. What can I do? Give me an action item that I can do to be a better person, take better care of the earth. Ooh, there's a lot. Um, we can all do a lot more. That's yeah. Sure. Let me think about. So I think one. I'll this is a little bit nerdy, maybe, but um, the last few years I've really tried to take a look at how much waste I produce, um, like how much trash I'm trying to like reduce the amount of, of waste. And so um, I actually had a colleague at the time, uh, you know, talk to me about what they do, and they had reduced the size of their trash can and like reduced the size of their trash bags. Um, and, you know, that kind of made it a little more conscious, like how much is going in, how much am I emptying my trash and putting in a new bag or whatnot. Um, then we got talking to, okay, how can we also reduce the trash bag itself? Um, and so what I've actually started doing is using chip bags or like old cereal bags that's or so bread bags. Small. That's so amazing. Um, and putting those in the trash can and using those as my bag. So then I'm also, like I haven't used an actual trash bag in a really long time. I have them if I need them, but like I don't, I can't remember the last time I've used them because awesome. I just use like you know, a large cereal bag or Doritos bag or something like that. And uh, so with that, though, I'm able to also think about, like, all right, well, the size of the different things I'm putting in, how much, how often. And that's when I started then composting recently just with, like, a kitchen composting unit and then, like, figuring out how I can recycle certain items that I don't, that don't fit in this chip bag. <laughs> so, like, you can recycle metal. You can recycle IT things. Um, and then obviously just recycle a lot of everyday items as well. But um, I have... I feel like I have significantly reduced the amount of waste that I produce. And obviously it's different, like, if you have families or you have pets or anything like that, but, like, you know, I don't have much food waste anymore, and I recycle as much as I can, so, like, a chip bag can uh, go a long way. Can, I can use a chip bag for, like, a week or two sometimes. I just picture David finishing a, a bag of Cheetos <laughs> or something. He's like, all right, this is my trash, trash now. It's trash bag. Your trash it still goes in the trash, trash bin, so it yeah. still looks, you know, it's yeah. not like... Super weird, but it is, it's a nice way of thinking about, like, what can I do to reduce the amount of waste that I have? And do you think you purchase less now? Like, Oh, like I certainly do, yes. Or because of um, I don't, 
Yeah, so uh, definitely if I'm for grocery shopping, I like I I try to find things that don't have a lot of packaging and like mm-hmm. I don't because you end up washing all your produce anyway yeah. at home. So like I don't need to put it in a bag. Right. I can just put it in the cart or I bring my own like totes, right? And mm-hmm. I just put the produce in that. because um, then I wash everything when I get home. Um, so yeah, I, I obviously I don't use uh, I should say obviously, but I don't use like grocery bags mm-hmm. at the grocery store and when I'm shopping for anything else, like I'll try to minimize the amount of bags or minimize the amount of, you know, packaging if I can. But a lot of packaging can be recycled now too, which is nice and um, but yeah, you just, I, I'm, I'm definitely more thoughtful about, even when I'm consuming now, what I'm going to have to throw away later. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't yeah. really think about what I'm going to be throwing away later. Mm-hmm. So that's something I could absolutely do better on. And I love that you're using trash as your trash bag. Yeah. Which, shout out to the Africa team. We actually do that also, our grain bags. Oh, really? We will use oh, yeah. in our small yeah. trash exactly. cans. You can't use it for everything, but we right. do use those. Well, yeah, and it, it's not a foolproof like mm-hmm. <laughs> system, but it definitely... I think the point of it is, right, is that you're more consciously thinking yeah. about what you're consuming and what you're wasting. Yeah, I, love I love it. it. I know. I, that's something At I've never thought of At the very least, people either. could start doing it for, like, their bathroom trash cans instead yeah. of yeah. buying trash bags yep. for any little cans that you have. If you have a family, and you, mm-hmm. you still need that giant one, but <laughs> right, <or> right. a <laughs> big one. <laughs> yeah, and, every, and that's, you know, the whole thing is every little bit helps. Definitely. Right? We're not all, um, you know, going to be perfect right away or anything like that, but um, every little bit helps to, to save wildlife and protect our planet. Yes. Anything to cut down your footprint. Yep. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. It's been great. This Thanks for so all of your work. No. Thank yes. you for having me. Oh, that quiz wasn't as terrible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. All thank right. you so much for joining us again, David. You're I know you're a busy welcome. guy. Thanks for spending your time with us. I'm happy to be we here. definitely appreciate it. Thank you to all the listeners. Thank you for everyone tuning in. This has been another episode of Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Go make a difference. Go ahead. <laughs>